Thank you so much, Pastor Jeff, choir, orchestra, band. Thank you for being here in this second service. We had a great move of God in the first hour, and we are expecting no less. Thank you for being a part of Grace today. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. We will conclude chapter 7 today in our part 3 of Don't Settle for Less Than God's Best. Our theme for the book of Hebrews is an anchor for the soul. An anchor for the soul. I I don't know about you, but I long for stability in an ever-changing, rapidly changing world. I look around at my own family and I think, where is the time going? I looked up here this morning. My son, we called him Bobo when he was tiny. Then we called him Little Bobby. Now he goes by Bo to most of us. But he's up here singing. A senior in high school, playing football, doing his thing. Hannah's off to UT, studying medicine. Holly's married to some ugly, I mean, Holly's married to a great guy named Garrett. Heather with Parker. We have Lucy. We have Sophia. They're all at the football game tomorrow night. I was a big spender and decided to pay for everybody at Taco Bell. Go G-Pa. And so I'm looking around going, where's the time going? I want to put a brick on Lucy's head. She's growing so fast. Sophia's walking around now like Frankenstein at 11 months old. And it's just like time is speeding along and things are changing so rapidly. I mentioned in my Wednesday study that Hannah gave us, Hannah's our youngest daughter, Hannah gave us a test several weeks ago in the truck. We were driving back from somewhere and she said, do y'all know like youth slang, modern words, you know, like riz and this and that. And we failed miserably because we don't understand how language is changing and things are happening. And yet when I come to this passage of scripture, I am given such confidence and courage It encourages my spirit because I realize that when everything else is changing, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that stability goes a long way. I'll uh, unpack this as we go, but the stability we have in Christ, I hope you'll enjoy the journey with me today. Let's learn this verse, Hebrews 7, 19. We've been talking about it. Remember, it's not the law that gets you to God. The law reveals your sin. The law shows you how imperfect you are and how much you need a Savior, just like me. So let's say this together, and then I'll throw some blanks in there to memorize. You ready? For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Yeah, think about that. The law made nothing perfect. No one is perfect. But on the other hand... There's the bringing in of this better hope. His name is Jesus. And through which we draw near to God. I gave you some big hints there is the way I said those words. Let's see if you've got it. You ready? For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Yeah, there you go. Hebrews 7, 19. What have we learned in parts one and two? Let me do a quick review. We learned as we look back to Genesis and to the Psalms, the person and priesthood of Melchizedek really serve serve as foreshadowings of Jesus. We learned that Abraham, the father of the Jews, recognized the superiority of Jesus and that Jesus was greater than all the old systems. So don't go back into your old systems. In part two, we learned that the Levitical priesthood was limited and temporary, that the Old Testament system was radically reoriented through the person and priesthood of Christ, and that Jesus offers us a better hope, 
by which we now draw near to God. Now, if you're a grace note taker, you're going to think this is a super long message, and I promise you it's not. It's not any longer than anything else. Try to respect your time. We do have several truths to get through today, though, and so I want to jump right in. Let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. And, um, you know, as I look at our Bibles, we're holding it in our hand or your phone or your iPad or whatever it is or on the screens. This is one book. And yet it is 66. Thank you for coming on Wednesdays, by the way. 6.30, I'm continuing the How We Got the Bible study. Thank you for encouraging me. I learned something this week as I was doing some study from a documentary film, actually, that God, really the first alphabet can be traced back to that which just immediately preceded the ancient Hebrew. And it was almost as though God was saying, I want you to know me. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce myself to you through Moses and the other prophets. And we're going to write this down because we still use alphabet today. It may not be Hebrew alphabet for us. The Jews use it. I mean, the, the uh, Hebrews use it and, and a lot of modern day Jews, particularly in Israel. But even though we're reading a different alphabet, it's still the way we communicate. Letters strung together to words and words to phrases and phrases to sentences. And I was learning that God not only revealed himself through the word... But this word, the living word, Jesus, about whom all the Bible is written, gives us that access. I used that word a lot last week, like my Orsa card, Oak Ridge Sportsman Association, gives us access to God. So when we read this today, remember, God breathed it, and when you believe it, it gives you access to God that never ever changes and you never have to give a renewal fee. Look at verse 20. It says, inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, that's Jesus, it's talking, referring again to Melchizedek in this Jesus-Melchizedek paradigm, for they have become priest without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, this is Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more. Jesus has become a surety, a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy Harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints his high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love your word. Thank you for speaking so clearly to us. And I know we still have to bridge those cultural, linguistic, and historical gaps. I know that we have to do our work to dig down now to understand what you were saying then and there so that we may understand what you're saying here and now and apply this truth appropriately in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing right here to give us confidence in the immutable Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So let me jump right in, okay? We're not going to settle for less than God's best, so let's learn this truth right out of the gate. Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant between us, human beings, and God. 
Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant between us and God. Uh, Look at verse 20 with me again, down to 22. It's just saying that he, Jesus, was not a priest without an oath. This is a comparison and contrast. The Levitical priest became priest through bloodline. Remember, you had to be of the tribe of Levi. Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, Moses' brother, Moses, Aaron, uh, and um, Miriam. Remember that these, this sibling bunch helped lead the people out of Egypt, and yet all the subsequent priests would come through that line, not Jesus. He's through the line of Judah. Jesus came by the word of the Lord. He came through an oath that says, I'm going to raise up a lion from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David. And so he did not come the way the others Cain. Melchizedek also had come in different fashion. He was prior to the Levitical priesthood. And so when we unpack that, it says Jesus has become so much more. Verse 22 says he's become a surety, a guarantee of a better covenant. Now I want y'all to think about this for a second. Because the priesthood of Aaron did not bring people into lasting obedience and real relationship with God, our Lord changed, fulfilled the priesthood. Christ is high priest of a new order, not with worldly rules, not with genealogies. He is a better guarantee. I want to talk about that word for a minute. It's in verse 22, the surety or the guarantee. Ingogus. Ingogus appears only here in the New Testament. In fact, the only time we see this word recorded in our New Testament Greek But it was a word that was quite common outside of the Bible. It appeared in legal documents and described a pledge or money as a deposit. Now, let me give you the most, as best I can discern, the most equal word in English today would be the word bail, bail. And now, I had to look this up. I've done some crazy stuff, but praise God, I've never had to be bailed out for doing it. Now, I know some of y'all know what that's all about, you heathens, but I've never been bailed I have been to jail many, many times. I've been to prison a number of times, but it was always on the good side of the bars to be able to preach the gospel to the guys. In fact, well over 20 years ago, over about 25 years ago, in my early 20s, I went to jail to preach for the very first time. I went with a very seasoned guy that I worked with uh, in my first church, and uh, he said, now look, I'm going to go down here and talk to this cell block. You can go way down the end of that hall, big concrete hall with bars. You're going to talk to that cell block. I said, John, don't leave me. He said, you'll be fine. And so I went down here, and I'm giving it, you know, the guys are tracking with me, and it's, it's all going good. About 15 minutes in, John screams bloody murder at the end of the hall at his cell block. And, of course, I am totally freaked out. I turn around and all John and all the prisoners down there are laughing their heads off at me. He had told those boys, hey, it's his first time. Watch this. And so I thought, sure as the world, they done got him and they were doing something horrible to him. But he just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I thought, you dirty rat. And I have been many times, but I've never been bailed out. So I really did have to do a little bit of research. Bail is that money deposited or equity put on to the court to ensure you show up for court proceedings. And so you post bail with cash to the court and then you're released to custody. And if you fail to show up in court, then you can forfeit that money to the court. And depending on the severity of the crime, sometimes they set the bail so high that most people can never uh, find their way out. And so they don't want you to be a flight risk. And then, of course, if you do show up, you get your money back. But imagine this. 
Imagine somebody's going to bail you out, somebody's going to be your, your surety, and they don't ask anything in return. I would imagine most of us, if somebody bails us out, we've all been bailed out in some way, but maybe not through the court. But if somebody bails you out, you're going to show, I would hope, great appreciation. You're going to give gratitude. But I want to remind you that Jesus is not only your bail money. Jesus is the complete payment for the price of your crime in its entirety. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, that what we owe God for our sin is death. But Christ took our place and paid the fine by his life. He offered himself up once for all. And he didn't just pay your bail, he took your punishment in full. Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. And now we have freedom because Christ paid the price. He is a guarantee. And we have the first important use of this word in verse 22 of the whole book. First time we see it, it's the word covenant. He is the guarantee of a better covenant. Now from this point to the end of Hebrews, we're going to see that word 21 times. Guys, that word is only used 16 times in all the other New Testament. It's amazing here how much the writer of Hebrews will spend time talking about covenant. Jesus himself is the guarantee of a better covenant, a testament, a commitment beyond a commitment, more than that, but it is that God will save fallen humanity for those who trust in the finished work of Christ. The old covenant had all those priests. This guy would rise, he would die. This guy would rise, he would die. These guys kept coming and coming and coming, but there's no permanent payment for sinners. In fact, they themselves had to make a sacrifice because they themselves were sinners. But by the greatness of Jesus' person and the purity of his character and the thoroughness of his sacrifice and the power of his resurrection, the superiority of his priestly work provides solid assurance that Christ can save you completely from your sin. He is the guarantee of a better covenant between us and God. The second truth, and I love the stability of this truth, Jesus has an eternal, immutable priesthood. Immutable is just a fancy way of saying unchanging. What in this world can you say is immutable? Man, things are changing left and right. It seems faster than they ever have. Maybe it's just me getting older, but because Christ lives forever, his priesthood is immutable and unchangeable. First century historian Josephus estimated that from the time of Aaron to the destruction of the temple in AD 70, there were 83 different high priests. 83. Imagine you just have this new leader, and you're looking to the leader who's overseeing the other priests who are eventually overseeing you, and, and he's changing. They're dying. They're dying. You, did you know that Pope John Paul I, Pope not the second, but the first, do you know that when he was elected to be Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, he was only in office 33 days before he suffered a massive heart attack and died? Imagine what those guys were thinking, all those cardinals and all those church leaders. <sighs> We just got through voting the guy in. He gave us 33 days. Don't you love stability? Is anybody, just to make sure you're awake, is anybody excited about Vols football this season? 
Is anybody excited about Coach Heifel and the, the fast offense and what he was? Is anybody glad he's sticking around? He's still here? Some of you may not be Vols fans, so you're not happy about that because he's done pretty well. Uh, just to remind you, we did beat Alabama last year to the glory of God. I just want to remind you about that. But, you know, the, the reality is as much as I grew up loving Coach Smith, I was a Dean Smith fanatic. I loved Carolina basketball, and I loved Coach Smith. And then... That was the end of the era. Pat Summit, for you Lady Vols fans, she was an incredible coach and leader, and yet there's always the end of an era, except when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no end to his reign. There would have been not only the 83 high priest, thousands of lower priests. And the Old Testament priesthood was imperfect because the priests themselves were sinners. Think about that. Unlike Christ, who did not need to offer an animal to cover his sin, he became the perfect sacrifice, the security and the confidence for God's people. And I like things that are secure. I like things that are stable. You know, for me, it's like this. It's like TV land the other day. Man, I'm, I'm clicking through. There's TV land. There's Andy Griffith. I don't care what you say. That's the best show that's ever been on for those 30-minute sitcoms. I mean, I heard citizens are citizens arrest and I laughed like it was the first time I ever saw it Opie Taylor man when Opie killed that bird y'all it rips my guts out every time I see it that's good TV right there they ain't gotten any better I like something now listen Matt did a great job on that song man that was a beautiful song that's a scriptural song and it is biblical the Bible tells us he says it the Bible says Psalm 96 1 sing to the Lord a new song I love some of the new stuff I really do some of it I can't stomach it's Martha 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 4,000 times but I like a lot of the new stuff but I'm telling y'all there's something about the stability of things I grew up on there's something about I could open the 91 Baptist hymnal. I used a 75, then I went to a 91 when I was leading. And number two, the number two song in there, I remember that song. I, I grew up on that song. It was written, the lyric, in 1826, nearly two centuries old. It was set to music a little later in the 19th century. I can't be the only guy in the room that knows it. If you know it, you ought to sing it with me. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. I like that bass. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Y'all know that too, don't you? There's something great about, I mean, you could go over to 330 and sing some Amazing Grace. You could go to him 426 and sing you some Victory in Jesus. I mean, there's just something that I miss about a lot of that. Now, I'm not saying the old is better because the good old days aren't half as good as we remember them most of the time. But there's something about the stability of that which we do over 
and over and over. There's consistency. There's comfort. There is a great verse that you ought to hide in your heart. Now, I know you probably know it. I've already quoted it once, but learn where it's from. Learn the context of it. And we're going to get there. I don't know when, hopefully before Jesus comes back, but it's in Hebrews 13, 8. And it says, you know it, Jesus Christ, what is it, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You ought to know that verse. You ought to hide it in your heart. Everything else is going to spin. Everything else at times will feel chaotic. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, death removed the descendants of Aaron from serving. But Christ continued forever because God accepted his sacrifice. God raised him to life the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he has a ministry going on right now that we're going to talk about. He's the guarantee of a better covenant. He's an eternal, immutable priesthood. Jesus, number three, saves us completely and always intercedes for God's children. It says in verse 25 here, He's able to save to the uttermost. Y'all have heard pastors talk about that, right? From the guttermost to the uttermost. No matter where you come from or what you've done, Jesus saves completely for those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. Now, I don't often quote from a paraphrase, but Eugene Peterson's The Message said this pretty well. Let me show you a few of these verses leading up to this. Earlier there were a lot of priests, for they died and had to be replaced. But Jesus' priesthood is permanent. He's there from now to eternity to save everyone who comes to God through him. I love the way he said this. Always on the job to speak up for them. If you'll trust Christ, he is always on the job to speak up for you. I love that. The power of Christ knows no limits. The person of Christ has no end. He is able to save us fully and completely, and nothing is necessary to supplement your salvation. You know, we all tend to take supplements of this or supplements of that. You don't need any supplements when it comes to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, listen to me. You don't believe a little and work a little. You surrender a lot, you believe, you receive, you trust because Jesus saves us from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's the author, he's the finisher, and he will save you to the uttermost when you trust him. And then there is a stability and a security in that. You say, Pastor, you really believe that when Jesus saves you, he seals you and he keeps you in the palm of his hand and nobody and nothing can snatch you out? Brothers, not only do I believe it, the Bible says it, and that's the truth. God saves you, God seals you, God keeps you. You're going to be a bozo sometimes. You're going to mess up. You're going to cut him off and call him moron. Not that I did that last night, but you're going to do that sometimes, and God is there to forgive and cleanse. We confess he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus saves us completely and eternally. Now, I'm going to tell you all, I cannot be one of those guys that leaves stuff undone. It's not in my nature. I can't stand it. We had a little issue at the house this week. I was fixing some stuff. You know, if you own it, you always got to fix it. In one of our bathrooms, there was a leaky faucet. Well, I'd had trouble with this thing before. And the last time I messed with it and changed the guts out, um, because it was one of those older style that you could still replace parts. Everything you buy now, you throw away, I think. But I broke off my Allen wrench in the head of the, uh, one of the handles, the hot water handle. And I worked and pried 
and nearly cried. I mean, I tried and tried and tried to fix this thing, and there was no fixing it. So I finally just got a couple of my big tools, big screwdrivers, and I just pried the thing apart, and I said, I'm done fixing this thing. I'm buying a new one. So I got up under there, and I'm trying to get the thing off, and I'm busting up my knuckles, and I'm getting madder and madder. I don't really have the right tool to reach it in this very narrow spot. Tried to remove the sink. It wouldn't come out. So I finally swallow pride, go to my neighbors. You got anything I can borrow that might grip this a certain way? It was rusted, the bolt. And he gave it to me. And, of course, it's like everything, men. We try to fix it without the right tool. We hurt ourselves. My hand's all cramped up. And I get the right tool, 30 seconds, boom, it's apart. Now I'm left with three holes at the top. It was a three-hole setup in the top of the uh, slab on top of that bathroom sink. And I'm looking at it, and I'm getting the jitters, like, i got to put something in that right now. And so I couldn't find exactly what I wanted local, so I ended up ordering one. And for those two days, I'm going to just tell you, I didn't even go near that room. I didn't want to see it because I knew it was unfinished. I knew I had the water cut off. I was going to change the drain out. and I was going to change the whole setup. And the truth is we don't even use that bedroom anymore. Hannah's moved out into Holly's. Nobody even goes up there. I could have left it for a year and nobody would have known. But two days, I could hardly sleep. I don't do well with things like that. Now, I could imagine if I woke up in the morning sweating about my salvation and thought, am I right with God today? Have I done enough to make myself okay with God? What did I say yesterday? What have I done to Cindy? What have I not done that I ought to have done? If I had to live under that, I would cease to function, y'all. I would shut down. And there are some folks out there that are living that way today. They're living under the weight of have I done enough? Listen to me. You have not done enough. You will not do enough because you cannot do enough. But you don't need to sweat that because Jesus did enough. He paid the price for you. He paid the price for me. It is finished. You can sleep well, my friend. Rest easy because your salvation is complete in Christ. And I know it. Because he intercedes for you now. John 17 said he prayed for his current disciples then. He prayed for all believers, even us. Because you were saved in Christ, you are being saved, and you will be saved for glory. And you see, intercession, the Bible says that Jesus intercedes for us here, verse 25. It means that he represents you before God on his throne. You know, the Jews, the rabbis, used to maintain that the angels were the primary intercessors. The problem is angelos, by its root word, doesn't mean intercessor. It means messenger. In fact, Jewish rabbis often taught that Michael the archangel was the chief intercessor. And sometimes that's bled into Hollywood and you think you have a guy named Clarence following you around and he's your guardian angel working to get his wings. Now, I'm not saying there might not be guardian angels. I'll get to that later in Hebrews. What I am saying is that the primary intercessor you have is no angel. It is the Son of God and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about a bell ringing over here and some dude popping wings out on you. You need to trust in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus is the perfect intercessor. He intercedes meaningfully and compassionately and effectively. And I'll often ask you at the end of the invitation, will you come? Will you pray for someone? Will you intercede? We talked about that mediatorial position the other, day, the other week. Why do I ask you to do that? Because you are really much like Christ 
when you are interceding to have a hand on Christ and a hand on your friend or your family member, and then they get to know Christ, and Christ is their pathway to the Father. You see, Jesus is all of these things, a perfect mediator, but he is also, number four, our spotless, separate, exalted high priest. I'm just summarizing verse 26. It says, for such a high priest was fitting for us who's holy, harmless, or innocent, the word is, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. He's exalted. Now, back in chapters 4 and 5, I preached a mini-series called Our Perfect High Priest. I unpacked a lot of those truths right there. I will not take time to redo that. If you want to watch, you can go back or listen on any platform. Go back and do that. But suffice it to say, Jesus has experienced the full forces of temptation that we have experienced, and then some, and he's yielded to none of it. Did you know that Jesus has been tempted more than you? Can I explain that? Anybody ever had a craving for something? You ever had a craving for something? Some of y'all are craving something right now. You can taste it, right? It's Krispy Kreme or Beaver's Dojo or Makata or some of y'all like fruit. That's weird. But anyway, you, I mean, you know, whatever. But you're craving something. Imagine that you're craving it and then you yield to the temptation, which we often do, and we get it. Oh, man, yes. Imagine being tempted day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, but never ever yielding to the temptation. Now, can you see how Christ has taken even more than you? Because he was tempted with all of these things, with power and position. The enemy didn't understand he already had all the power and all the position. But he was tempted, and yet he never, ever sinned. So his temptation is even greater than us. And most of the time, here's what we find. We look at somebody and we think, well, they've got it going on. They don't yield. They're a great guy. Look at them. That's a great gal. And yet the closer we get to them, you know what we realize? They are just like us. They are just like me. They got their flaws. They got their failures. And we get disappointed. It's like this. It was January of 2018. It was just before Super Bowl 52 where the Philadelphia Eagles would go on to defeat the New England Patriots. And I never had a really good TV. We had, never, we had had an old projection television and we had some smaller televisions. But I wanted a good TV to watch the Super Bowl that year. And there was a sale and I bought me a big fat uh, Sony 4K. Ha, ha, ha. Big, you know, that was like the best thing going back then. And I realized something real fast when we put that TV in and started watching high-definition programming for the first time. People got a lot more stuff going on wrong than you realized until you see them in high-definition up close, right? I mean, you see them on that television with their head about that big, and you're like, oh, he kind of ugly. She's got some. What is that thing? And the truth is, that's all of us, and not just on the outside. See, some of y'all in your marriage right now, you're looking at your spouse and saying, look at all of these problems and imperfections, and I'm going to look over there because they look like they got it going on. Brother, I promise, when you get close over there, there are just as many warts, just as many issues, just like with me, except Cindy, she's perfect. But beyond her, I'm telling y'all, 
the closer we get to people, the more disappointed we get, except the Lord Jesus. You can watch him in 4K. You can watch him in 8K. Like Jeff said, between the service, you can watch him in 401K. I don't care how you look at Jesus. You will find nothing but perfection. A spotless Lamb of God. That didn't mean he looked like a lot on the outside. Isaiah said he had no comely form. He was not beautiful to a gaze on on the outside. But man, he's perfect in every way when it comes to our sin and his salvation. He is our spotless, separate, exalted high priest. Finally, Jesus offered himself once for all to pay for our sins as the perfect sacrifice. 27 and 28. He does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when they took his life from him. No, that's not what it says. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. No one took the life of Christ. Jesus gave it. For the law appoints his high priest men who have weaknesses But the word of the oath which came after the law, and remember he's appointed not by genealogy but by the word of God. It appointed the son who's been perfected forever. He didn't need to offer daily sacrifices for himself. The ironic high priest had to make sacrifices first for themselves. I got to get clean first before I can help you. Not Jesus. Think about everybody familiar with the Old Testament system. Think about it. No high priest Not a single one in all of recorded history said, put me on the altar, boys. I'll take your place. No. They brought the bulls and the goats and the rams and the lambs, and they killed, and the blood flowed day in and day out, over and over and over. And yet, Mark 10, 45 says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Did you see that? He gave his life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ is so much greater because he paid the price. And he didn't kill an animal to do it. He paid the price himself. So now the question is, if he died for you, if he was raised for you, are you going to live for him? Are you going to surrender to him? I want to come bring this thing into the station with an observation that J. Vernon McGee made. He had been a Beloved, well-known pastor out in California for many years, served the Lord faithfully, and through his radio talks, there was a compilation done called Through the Bible Commentary. And I normally read it when I'm preparing for a message. I certainly don't agree with everything Dr. McGee said, but I often find that I'm much in alignment with the way he says things. And he said this, the continual sacrificing in the Old Testament must have gotten pretty old and pretty tiresome. I'm sure many times when the priest would meet at the bronze laver or the the basin, the wash basin, and they'd wash their hands and feet, one of them would turn to the other priest and say, how many times you been here today? Well, I don't know. I guess I've been here at least a dozen times. And he said, well, man, I've been here 15 times today. I've washed my hands so much, I got dishpan hands. They used to baptize their hands. They used to baptize themselves to cleanse. It was a picture of cleansing. So they washed over and over and sacrificed over and over And one of the other priests would say, look at my feet. I've been standing in this water all day. I'm so tired of going to that altar and offering sacrifices again and again and again. McGee said, I want to tell you, it must have been pretty wearisome. And if Aaron had overheard their talking, the first high priest, he said, I bet he would have said, I agree with you. The rituals are tiresome. 
But do you know what God is trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that sin is an awful thing and it requires the shedding of blood. But one day, someone is going to come and die for us. And when that happens, fellows, there's no more shedding of blood. He will have paid the penalty in full. And I'm here to tell you today, and to any Jews that may be watching, your Messiah that you have longed for has come. He has come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, in fact, did pay the perfect price on Calvary's cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, but by the power of God raised three days later, just as we sang about, and he ascended to the Father where he intercedes beside of the Father. And if you will surrender to him today, he can be the stability of your life that you long for. He can be your surety and your guarantee for this life and the life to come. But you must trust him and you won't add anything to what he's finished it is paid in full this is the truth of the gospel Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant between us and God he has an eternal immutable priesthood he saves us completely and intercedes for God's children he is our spotless separate exalted high priest and he offered himself for all to pay for sins as the perfect sacrifice some years ago, before we moved here, it was time for us to buy a new washer and dryer. We ended up purchasing it from a Home Depot that was not far from, too far from where we lived in Florida. And for whatever reason, I decided for the first time ever to buy the extended warranty. I'm not much of an extended warranty guy, but I thought I'm going to buy this five-year warranty because these gizmos are so computerized now that if one little board goes out, it's going to cost me. For about four, four and a half, almost four and a half years, we had no issues until one day that washing machine started leaking. Thankfully, we had a pan under it, but it was leaking pretty bad. We got the first tech to come out. He said, oh, yep, it's what I thought, little plastic piece here. We have trouble with them all the time. You know, everything's plastic now. So he said, yep, you see right here, it's got a crack in it. I'm going to get another one. We'll put it on, no problem. Fixed it for a couple of weeks. She sprung a leak again. Fixed it. She sprung a leak again and again. Have any of you ever had something that just kept messing up? Well, as I began to read the fine print on the warranty, I realized that when a certain issue manifested itself a certain number of times, like if the technician came three or more times for the same issue, it would qualify for a lemon law, and you were supposed to be able to get a check or a gift card that would equal the amount that you paid for the machine. This was part of what we bought. Well, guess what the company that Home Depot worked with was doing? Pushing it off and pushing. I know you find that shocking, right? Hard to believe that they didn't want to keep up their end of the warranty, the bargain. And so we had six, seven, eight visits. Then we were moving and said, well, this thing's still not fixed. We can get in our new place, but the, the machine is not fixed. We get to Tennessee. We start calling the local fixers of the, that product here, and they came. And they came again. And no offense, because we've got some repair guys in our church that are wonderful, but do you know how when they tell you they're going to be there within this window and you have to wait half the day, or Miss Cindy had to wait half the day because it was like four or five hours of their window, and this happened over and over and over, at least a dozen, maybe upwards of 15 times. Now, we're documenting this. We're taking notes and we finally had a guy come out, and he had an official-looking shirt on, and he said, I promise you, to me, I promise you, if I can't fix this, 
if this is going to qualify now under the lemon thing, because we were right out of time. I mean, in fact, we might have been over the five-year mark at that point, but because it started before, long story short, that guy made the promise. Do you know how much stock I put in his promise? 0.0 confidence. None. He fixed it, and it almost started leaking before he got out of the driveway. And to my utter amazement, a few weeks later, in my inbox, there is a note from that company that says, enclosed is your digital gift card. We have declared your machine of whatever the terminology they used. And we got the money. I went that day, and we got a new machine for Miss Cindy. And I was shocked. You know why I was shocked? Because most of us don't put much stock in a guarantee anymore. We've been run around too many times. We've been told too many things and they've not followed through. Now again, I'm not trying to paint a broad brush of every company and every situation, but the truth is we're cynical. Because when we hear of a guarantee, it just seems too good to be true. And some of you have let that cynicism bleed into your faith. And you have said, well, pastor, I hear what you're saying, but the reality is I gotta get some things right first. I got to clean up some things and then maybe Jesus Christ will accept me. Man, I am telling you, your life will continue to spring leaks if you try to fix it on your own. The best thing you can do is give up and say, I am broken and I am undone and Jesus Christ alone can fix me and not just repair me, but he can replace my heart. He can transform me. He can make me a new man. He can give me a new trajectory in my life and I'm going to trust him completely. I'm going to stop trying to fix it myself. I'm going to give up. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when you trust Christ, and when you don't take the worldly religious way, but you have a relationship with God through him, then you understand what it means to not settle for less than God's best. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.